This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, and welcome to Teacher Talk Radio. Sorry, we're a little bit late, a few technical issues. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, PE and fitness today, so come and join in the conversation. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome on this Monday night in December. Um, I Hopefully most of you have finish school now and are ready for the Christmas countdown um, and those of you that are still going holding in strong in partnership with John Cat education apologies um, those of you still going strong uh, on the last few days I hope they go quick and smoothly for you and um, tonight we're going to be chatting about um, PE and the importance of having experts in um, their field in terms of what that can add to um, RP lessons and educating our students to make sure that they are having the right form and the right um, diet and how we can make sure that they are um, improving throughout. So I've got Josh coming and joining me tonight. Josh, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, hello, Hannah. Thanks for the invite. Uh, how are you keeping at this moment in time? I'm good. Um, glad that the uh, holidays have started. Uh, I'm missing my my pee at the moment with my broken foot, so I'm kind of uh, hoping that this week I'll get the all clear to get back to a bit of exercise. It's definitely um, missing it um, at the moment. How about yourself? Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the lucky ones that managed to get off term last Friday, so I've been enjoying some some downtime and getting there. Getting ready for the Christmas festivities before sort of kicking back on into the new year, but um, yeah, enjoying that downtime especially. So, um, tell us a bit more about your your role because um, you're not a teacher per se; you're a sports specialist. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a strength and conditioning coach by trade. Um, did you want to know school specifics or just sort no, of no, general? no, that's fine. So, um, I work mainly at a, a private school. Um, uh, a large day school to be more sort of specific in that sense um, and my main role is basically to look after kind of the physical health uh, and a little bit of the mental health that comes with that within sort of the gym um, and athletic development kind of curriculum um, in terms of how that role looks it's mainly spread out through sort of three avenues we have our like built-in PE integration we have like a games perspective and then we have like an extracurricular and like a gifted and talented kind of avenue as well so with that, we managed to cover over 1,600 pupils um, and we have a, a, a roughly sort of staff delivery body of 75 members of staff, of which about, I think, 25 of those are kind of dedicated PE teachers or coaches. And then the rest come from non-sporting like academic um, staff members who also help out with games and, and sport. So do you think this um, benefits the students having that expertise, that different um, knowledge within um, the subject? Yeah, I think sport and, and health is changing. I think if we look at how gyms are changing, if we look at how the fitness industry is kind of changing, we need to kind of 
allow the students um we need to sort of prepare the students better for when they leave school i don't think the traditional the traditional sport model works as well as it used to like could, would you be open to talking about like your own sporting your own sporting adventure at school like how did you find how did you find conventional sport when you was at school uh, see, I I wasn't the conventional sporting one. So um, I was on the swim team. Um, so that was a, we all got to pick different sports, and it was up to you, kind of where you went to. So in in winter, obviously they did kind of hockey and then uh, netball, and then it was kind of rounders in the summer. But I um, was on the swim team, and that was all year round. Um, my coach was uh, quite an interesting fellow. So he was. Uh, an army major and um he was very very hard training sessions they were quite thorough um but it was quite funny because everyone used to always want to join the swim team because they thought it was the easy option and and that, that we quite often uh played um water follow water polo or water volleyball and um things like that or if it was really sunny we'd take the mats outside and go and sunbathe so people thought we were like the easy sub um choice when it came to PE but then people would join and he would do the hardest training session possible and have people like carrying weights around on their arms and and sprinting and he would literally not let people out until they threw up and generally people would throw up um and then they would never come back and then it was our nice little kind of group of dedicated core people and he was a lot more relaxed so he was very much a a major in the army when uh, new people came and he put them through their paces but then it was quite a nice group once we were there but it was we, we did it multiple times a week it was very hard training I myself then trained outside of school so I uh, did a Sunday night and then Saturday galas outside of school so for me it was kind of it was within my wheelhouse but then I didn't experience any other sport within my school so uh, I lack coordination hence the um, broken foot <laughs> currently um, from attempting rock climbing so um yeah I clearly lacked the uh part of my PE career where I was meant to gain that kind of coordination um but in that respect it was definitely the area that I enjoyed and later on I kind of went on to be like team captain and things and I did swim nationally and stuff like that so I really enjoyed it but it was very much we were a very small little almost community um Mm. rather than people that didn't really know what they were doing we were very much kind of drilled and kind of knew what to do technique wise if that makes sense yeah I, I think you would be typically what we call an outlier like you're someone that found a sport and a niche and because of that you very much had that drive to, to to enjoy that sport like for the most part um swimming especially if you think about like early early maturers in sport and sports that require lots of like foundational hours to be good at swimming is definitely one of those if we think about like your main sports, like especially in kind of like the, the school that I'm at, like we have multiple teams from an A team down to like an F team. And for me, my kind of ethos and what I think I should be doing as a strength and conditioning coach within a school has changed quite a lot. So when I first started this journey for undergrad and postgrad, you know, my goal was, oh, I want to go work in the US and, and be at a, a big college and look after all these high performing athletes. But actually, as like I've been in schools, I've realized that I can have a lot more impact on those kids that don't really enjoy mainstream sport, the ones that are not going to go on to be healthy and are not going to go on to play sport all their life. Like one of the, the main things that I, I'm trying to do is to actually target the kids that are further down the teams who are in the C, D, E, F teams and who don't see themselves playing sport because ultimately their avenue probably in terms of health and, and lifestyle is going to be one around the gym, around exercising, around non-sport avenues 
So a big push for me is is very much can we give these kids the new physical tools they need when they leave school, not to be the polished piece because no one, I don't think anyone who leaves school is polished, but enough that when they step into a gym, they have the skills and the confidence to be able to to set up their own session and and not be charged extortionate amounts of money from PTs and and be able to look after themselves. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do, isn't it? We're trying to create these these well-rounded individuals who are academically very bright and can make really good decisions, but also physically can look after themselves as well. I think that was quite um, an interesting um, point. I'm going to go backwards a little bit on um, the fact that you said about America, because I actually considered at one point getting a scholarship and going and competing out there, because in terms of how we do education, specifically like if you, if you go as far as university compared to us, they have like massive collegiate systems where they kind of have a lot of uh, inter-competing and they kind of almost create a higher uh, level of competitiveness. Do you think that's, um, do you think we lack that a bit in this country in terms of getting people kind of competition ready or do you think that puts too much pressure on like too early? It's a hard one. The collegiate system in the States is very commercialised. So ultimately, the avenues are better for a lot more sports. So like, obviously, when you think of America, you think of basketball, American football. Um, even now, football, to an extent, is becoming bigger. Baseball, um, although they're the main big sports, because of how big the commercial system is within America, you have like softball, you have volleyball. So I think that attracts more a bigger demographic of students to think actually I quite enjoy this sport I'd like to pursue it at a higher level I think because the university system in the UK isn't commercialized yes you can still play a very high level but I don't think it's as attractive as such um, I think also in terms of how we structure sport especially in this country we're very hot on this kind of well especially in sort of private schools this, this three sport term where we have hockey netball rugby is the big ones and then kind of football is secondary, but because of how strong football is as a foundation outside of schools, football very much can be left a little bit more kind of amateuristic within schools because of how academies are formed. Um, the other thing really coming back to it is, it's not so much making sure kids enjoy sport now, it's making sure they've got a good enough physical base that when they leave, if they say want to start swimming or want to start volleyball or basketball or anything at, at uni, or they've got the good physical skills to be able to go and do that. You know, you can't play basketball without being able to jump. You, you can't play, you can't be a, a good swimmer if you've got a good cardiovascular base. So if we can make those doors a bit easier to open, then ultimately we're going to keep people in the sport for longer. The more healthy they are, the less strain it's going to have on our NHS system as well. So I know I've got off a bit of a caveat in terms of your original question, but unless kind of the money, unless there's a big drive on commercialism within university sport in this country, I can't ever see us kind of having that outreach as much as the States do. Do you think we we don't put enough emphasis on uh, sport in school and kind of building up those skills? Because especially like kids have the option when they get to A-level to drop it. So post-16, they essentially don't have to be exercising at all. And I don't know whether we're necessarily um, kind of giving them the skills to find or giving them that, that, it's that opportunity, isn't it, to find that um, area of fitness that they really enjoy and they connect with. Because I think fitness is one of those that if, if you love it, you'll commit to it and you'll enjoy it. Like it shouldn't be a painful experience. You shouldn't be like, oh, God, I hated that, uh, which a lot of pe kids kind of will have that relationship with sport at school. Do we need to have like 
move away from that idea of a term of hockey, a term of this, and and kind of give them more of a range to be able to find something that they're passionate about? Or is that just not feasible within the kind of school system? Yeah, I think you've got it nailed on the head there is there's a cultural, there's definitely a cultural kind of um, trend that we do these sports. So I think from a cultural point of view, it'd be very hard to break that. If you think about how school sport works as a system, you know, you're very much used to emailing a certain member of staff to organise a certain a certain fixture. And the system isn't perfect by any means. There's a lot of crossover, especially in um, smaller schools where pupils are almost shared across big mainstream sports. So there's definitely a, a cultural issue there in terms of um, can we actually can we actually um, create a different system which loads of sports are going to play into? And I guess the only way we can begin to to improve on that culture is to to be able to reach out to more schools and and begin offering more sports. Um, but ultimately, that's underpinned by the financial status of the school. Can they afford to actually um, bring in these new sports, bring in these kind of more specialist coaches or the, the equipment that comes with those sports? Because I think if you, th- if you think about like rugby and hockey, especially like rugby and football, you don't really need a lot. You need chin pads, a gum shield and a ball. So I think in terms of uh, opening doors and thinking about participation for all, they're large scale. You get lots of people involved. So ultimately, and that's another thing. This is why like, I think the job of PE teachers is really hard because you're not only trying to teach them skills, you're also trying to make sure they get some form of like workout so they're actually benefiting from card- from physical exercise. You're also then trying to work within the means of your remit in terms of financial, like what equipment you have at your disposal. Like obviously I'm really lucky, but I know not, a lot of schools aren't. So it's not necessarily about the perfect picture. It's about the picture that can most easily be transferred to lots of schools. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, it does. Because I'm um, a year nine tutor and um, last year, we don't do it so much this year because they're they're all a bit bigger and trying to fit them all in the hall. But in seven and eight, and also we kind of want them to study more in year nine and kind of get ready for assessments. But in seven and eights, we had it that the... Um, they would all do on a, every other Friday, there would be a sport and it was in, into forms and it rotated through terms. So it was bench ball or dodgeball. Um, so it's all kind of different kind of sports and the team, each tutor group would put a team up and it'd be five girls, five boys, and it had to be different kids each week um, and everyone else. And it, they were super, super into form competitive. Um, there was prizes and like everyone it's that kind of whole having them all in the hall especially after covid they haven't really had that for a while and and kind of cheering each other on and and they 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 it's the one thing they've really missed they're like this year they're like i really want it why aren't we doing that anymore why don't we get to do that and it's kind of um a bit of a shame because all that it was kind of took the pressure off necessarily it being about fitness and it was more of a like a real like kind of joint shooter effort and enjoying it as like a little bit of fun and I, I think it, it changed their mentality they obviously I'm super super competitive and I like to win and, and the kids tell me I get a bit carried away um I'm at the edge kind of getting the balls and throwing them in to give them an extra hand but um it's kind of nice to see that side that like everyone was kind of involved and no matter kind of what ability and it was just kind of that fun aspect of it absolutely yeah and especially within my remit, actually, with our young years, because we, we, we implement athletic development from year seven all the way through to upper six. Um, at our bottom end, if we think about like a sliding scale between fun and fitness, like 
the majority of the stuff we do is fun. Like, so for example, one of our lesson plans might be around um, squatting basics, but we won't do really any actual like loaded body weight squatting. A lot of it will be like single leg stuff. It'll be like squat challenges. So like we use merits as like an awarding system. So we'll award merits to students based upon kind of their movement assessment, but we don't make it so formative that students feel really disheartened if they can't do certain movements. And that's where kind of the education comes in. Like it's important to explain to kids, especially around that year eight to 10 phase where puberty starts to take effect and coordination can be sort of thrown out of whack, but actually they understand that they're going to be good at certain skills at different times. And then for some of them, but then they're going to be playing catch up at certain points. And that's where, um, like, that's where I've, I think my my job has value is because it's not just, oh, let's go into the gym and let's just be 20 kids because we can't put them anywhere else. That the whole, the whole premise of bringing an athletic development within schools is actually to educate them and expose them. So we reduce injury risk as a big one. We increase participation and lifelong participation. And then also um, create that big fun factor because like you said at the start, when you had that, that major as your instructor, he used to just make you want to vomit. And I think a big thing is we don't want to negative, negatively associate fitness with health because then we have kids that the first thing they do when they walk in the gym is groan because they think they're going to get, um, they're going to be made to feel really rough when actually the whole goal should be around education and then exposing them to, to the movement so they can practice those movements in a safe place. And it's a big thing I tell the kids is like, you can we want school to be like a safe stressor we want we want you to make mistakes now in everything from english math science to the way you behave to, to what you do in the gym because ultimately when you leave school you'll then have had that experience that you don't make those same mistakes kind of twice i think it's that thing it's it's creating a safe space for them to fail as well and Absolutely. having somewhere that like it's it's okay to be rubbish you you only get better through consistency and i think a lot of a lot of kids don't necessarily have the resilience um I saw somebody chatting on Twitter about what do this generation of kids not have that what are they missing and a lot of people um wrote resilience like they don't have that kind of like I will keep going I will get myself up again but I think it's also kind of building that consistency if they don't have that consistency they're not going to show the results and I think that's the difficult thing with sport is it's not instant oh you're going to suddenly be better that and then that it is something that has to build over time and they don't get those quick results so it is more difficult to kind of get them to keep that engagement with it but the two things also go hand in hand right like we talk about resilience and you just spoke about how you don't get quick results within exercise well then shouldn't they be doing more of it to enhance their ability to deal with resilience so like this is what's great about the gym environment especially is you don't need a lot of equipment but you can easily make a regression and progression exercise library. So if someone can't do a bodyweight squat, you might do like a box squat. If someone can do a, a bodyweight squat, we might then move them on to like a goblet squat. So like it's really easy to show kids how they are progressing through movements in the gym and on the field. Again, if you have the also the equipment with it though. So like there are some more extreme examples where I've seen schools have like an athletic development report card. So they use like a movement standard where kids will be taken through say seven tasks and they'll be graded based upon their tasks um, and how well they perform them. Um, we don't do it yet at our place just because we haven't got the resources to do it. But if you have a big enough team, you can essentially dictate, you can basically work out where kids are, when kids are growing. So you can make really good kind of assumptions based on their movement coordination skills. But then you can also give them really, really clear objectives on how to improve their fitness. 
like anything, if you create objectives and you can create some sort of tiers, um, you can give kids direction, um, especially at our place. A lot of our kids are very gifted in kind of like maths and science. So I do my best to make our challenges quite numerical because then they feel like they it kind of makes more sense from an academic point of view for them as well. But um, particularly within athletic development, we very much are trying, trying to come away from that model of you're just in here to do 30 minutes of exercise. Like it, it needs to be more than that if we want them to go on to do this as a as a lifestyle habit as they go through kind of their life. Can you see it as a as a, like a coach, kind of what area that a child is kind of strong in that you're like, oh, that kid's got like real good, I don't know, jump. They'll be really good at basketball. Is it, Can you see that quite early on? And do they tend to kind of, with guidance kind of go down that route or do they do some of them are like oh no I'm not interested in that or or there is it that they kind of will go oh okay if I'm going to be better at that I will give that a go so we we have we do like a screen every half term ish um we or every term we do like a, a movement screen so we'll do one 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 assessment that is primarily based on how well they move which is an average squat which for those that don't know that is you should have a stick overhead and you have to do like a full squat and you get graded they do a speed test, a jump test, a broad jump test, and an agility test. Um, at the moment, it's kind of in the infancy of how we're using that data, but essentially we, we hope to kind of help kids with the directions they want to travel. But ultimately, it's not... Kids that have certain physical characteristics will naturally gravitate towards that sport, right? So if you're tall, what sport are you going to play? Yeah, so like basketball or what have you. Yeah, you go towards basketball. If you're strong and big and a little bigger, you're going to go to rugby. Like if you're naturally quite good at football or you've been in football from a younger age, you're probably going to drift towards football. But that's also where those opportunities come from. So that's why we kind of try to expose the kids to as many sports as possible so that they get that full movement toolbox. They learn about how to use other skills that aren't just directed towards one sport. And as such... Again, if they decide to change sport or if they phase out of a certain sport, they have these other options. So it, it comes back primarily, again, to opportunity. Like, we will say to some kids, if they're, like, unbelievably fast or if they can jump very hard, we might say to them, you should pursue athletics or you should pursue sprinting or basketball. But I think, especially at our place at the moment, we're kind of in the infancy of being able to say what data will directly drive you to what sport. Does that kind of a child's physique kind of drive into what bits? So my, my, my nephew, bless him, if I, I hope he'll never listen to this, but he'll, he'll um, hate me for saying it. He's five foot 11. He's really annoyed that he's not six foot. Um, but he was indoor rowing champion uh, two years in a row for his age, but he couldn't quite get it. Um, they ended up not taking him further. Um, the, the British team were looking at him, but um, because he wasn't tall enough. He, and I just find that bizarre that he can win those competitions so he won them by quite a margin but yet they weren't he just wasn't tall enough for it um ironically now he's gone into rugby and he's very focused on that and it's it's amazing to see him when I uh visiting when he was 15 coming home from school like literally going straight down the gym working out and then and and then going to um training and stuff so he does stuff with the ex ex to rugby team and I think that it's the idea that He's got that discipline from quite a young age and, and that's sometimes quite difficult to get in teams. Um, and so I think like there is that uniqueness of sport that you can create 
like a lot more of a kind of dedicated routine that you wouldn't necessarily get from other sports um sorry subjects yeah i think all sport has kind of underpinnings of well you have to practice to be better you have to be resilient to take feedback and be able to then progress with that feedback and so like if you've grown up in activity especially like the big cardiovascular ones like rowing and rowing uh, rowing and rugby and um endurance you're used to putting in a lot of work like if you think about sports that require a lot of training hours you think of gymnastics you think of rowing so i think especially those sports it very much creates that ethos that you will have that resilience to then try other sports that's why again coming back to it i think it's really important that kids are able to play as many sports as possible as 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 kids because it, it's like anything you know it's the same as gcse's like we kids are told to take part in GCSEs or made to, should I say, because when they leave, it means the better their A level, the better their GCSEs, the better their A levels, the more opportunity they have to go into different fields of study. You know, if we if we very much told kids from an early age, you know, you should be doing this, then we're, we're funneling and channeling them to an area they might not even enjoy in five, ten years' time. Which is why, like, I've been reading um, the book actually I recommended last week, which was Think Again. And one of the questions they tell you not to ask kids is what do you want to be when you grow up? Because ultimately then you're creating this kind of closed mindset to them. And if they fail at that one occupation, then we've basically ingrained in them that that's it. Like they're, they're kind of lost their direction. I think it is, is it's an interesting one because I think sport itself helps with mental health massively like I find it if, if I'm stressed out if I've been for a run or worked out I feel mentally uh, much better um but I was watching this week the Niall Wilson the gymnast he was doing a TED talk and he was talking about how um he was really successful he'd got loads of business on the side he had like millions of followers on uh TikTok and his videos were going really well and he was making loads of money um, and was going really well and then he was like oh but hang on I missed these out and then he was like but I have I've been I was gambling I was drinking excessively I was cheating on my girlfriend like I couldn't cope mentally when I lost the sport so I think is is this is that something that we need to perhaps build into kind of the younger generations that kind of resilience to the fact that it might not work out or if it does work out you like what happens afterwards like is it important to keep them kind of considering other areas because I definitely think we kind of there's so many kids will always go oh I'm, I'm going to be a famous footballer but it's like but what if you actually get into the academies and get there like is how do we support them in that respect as well that even if they get through the academies and they seem to be doing well that if there is that failure how do we support them in that respect with both areas because because I think sports one of those it gives loads in terms of mental health but also that aspect of failure with the mental health that comes with that absolutely it's a cracking question like and we're talking very much here about competition versus health um or versus, versus participation like we we want we want kids to pursue avenues we want kids to do their best and we want them to channel that enthusiasm um, but ultimately, they we also need to maybe remind them of how hard things are. Like I, I've worked in kind of um, football academies before, both from a teaching point of view in terms of a B Tech delivery and also some athletic development. And a lot of the scholars within that junior academy system are made very aware of 
what the likelihood is of them becoming a pro player. And, and now as part of their education, they have to be enrolled within a, within certain um, education requirements. So they have to be doing either like an apprenticeship or further formal qualifications. But um, yeah, I think it comes down to, and I think you might also feel this, and I think it's something I share as well, is you can do sport for competition. So like if you're, say, a weekend warrior or, you know, if you're really into it, like say, for instance, CrossFit and you're competing in CrossFit, but then also you should do activity for your own health as well. So have, having um, activities that that benefit your your mental health and your physical health that might not necessarily be all about competition, but actually they're more geared towards um, just completing a consistent amount of sessions, for example. So then you're always reinforcing that foundation of, of physical health too. Um, so like a really good example of that would be like if you're someone that enjoys enjoy say for example like um like crossfit which crossfit again is a really good example crossfit as a base for most people is about their health it's about um training five days a week or four days a week and looking after themselves and being part of a much bigger community which really touches on that mental health side of things but then you might also be the same person who then does say three crossfit competitions a week or plays a competitive sport on the side so for example for me basketball is my competitive release that's where like my mindset is geared towards winning and geared towards making the most of me and my teammates but whereas when I go to the gym, the gym is very much about yes, I still have those, um, I still have those markers and those kind of areas that I want to improve. But it's much more about being within a community of people that share that drive to being healthy. And as such, like I, I feed off that. That really, I really enjoy that social side of exercise. I don't know whether students necessarily see that as well. I think, do you, I don't know about you, but whether you feel that there's enough kind of um exposure for students for looking at the different types of fitness like if you if i don't necessarily know whether my students would watch much crossfit but if you look at the kind of men and women competing on them and, and also the older age range i love the fact that there's kind of much older fitter people and that is kind of getting them to see that fitness is more than just it's a it's a lifelong thing it's going to keep you healthier it's going to keep you like from getting injured and it's going to help you in longevity and being able to like play with your kids and and be healthier and, and be able to do more you'll have more energy in your day-to-day life if you're kind of exercising but I do feel like it's very much like I think it's a social media thing perhaps that they're they're kind of like it's it's skinny versus strong um I did see that there was that on a, a reel actually on Instagram that it's like um they want I want girls people to think that I'm I don't work out because I'm to be skinny I work out to be strong I, I want people to think that I carry my shopping in in one go kind of that mentality that do we need to take the pressure off specifically probably more girls but I know there are boys with body conscious issues that they feel like they have to have abs and look a certain way that actually we need to turn the mindset and that it's it's not about looking a certain way it's about being healthy and being strong and the stronger you are the the more you'll achieve almost you'll the easier you'll go through life if you're stronger you're gonna it's gonna take less energy to do your daily things yeah, there's quite a few points in there, and I'll try and I'll try and hit all of them. But I think if we if we look at it first of all from that mental health side of things, actually the research points to boys having more occurrences or more symptoms of body dysmorphia and compared to girls, um, it's just hidden better within boys because boys, you know, when a when a boy looks in the mirror and flexes, no one thinks two things about it. 
because it's just, oh, he's a boy, he's training, there's ego there. But actually, that's a, that's a very current, common sign of body dysmorphia, is this drive. And, and also, like, again, getting a bit broad here, what do we call an addiction and what do we call a hobby? Like, where is the line? <laughs> Good you know, point. Because yeah. as a rower, you might have been rowing six days a week and you might not be on a, a world circuit or a pro team, but you row six days a week because you enjoy rowing six days a week. But to someone who doesn't do sport, that is an addiction. Like that is, you're doing this because you're trying to avoid something. But also we have to understand the power of exercise. Like we, we, we know that people that have like high levels of anxiety, if they exercise their anxiety because of how hormones work naturally reduce and they feel better about themselves. So we know that we can use exercise as a almost a form of medicine um, to, to help people with anxiety. But if we think about exam time, what is the first lesson that always gets cancelled for exams? PE, yeah. PE, and then like, and you will share that frustration because I bet art is also something that gets, maybe gets overlooked for bigger exams yeah. as well. So like, if we think about actually, if we're, if we're trying to teach these kids that looking after themselves, especially when things are most stressful, which is around exam time, then why are we not encouraging kids to be doing sport and exercise between exams rather than telling them to sit down and revise for even longer and to put themselves under more stress and to, to confine themselves to a room where they're probably not talking to anyone. Like we're, we're sending the wrong message if we're trying to encourage this, this whole, whole idea of health. And again, if we look back, um, I can't remember the paper's name, I'll try and find it, but actually kids who, do more, who did more exercises, more exercise during an exam period, generally did better in their exams. I think I'd find, love to know the theory of that, I'll of try whether, and the the, especially because quite often they have one in the morning and one in the afternoon. If you made those kids do, even if you did what primary schools did and made them do a walk a mile and have like a bit of fresh air, a bit of exercise, actually mentally, are they going to be able to go into their afternoon exam way stronger than they're going to sit in a room and revise for an hour? I imagine yep. that they, they would. I know I certainly would. It's, it's certainly something that we need to look at, especially I think that it'll be interesting to see how students cope with exams this year with the fact that they've not been kind of the same for the last couple of years and whether we we as teachers need to be responsible and kind of give them more coping mechanisms in terms of how they deal with that stress and what their outlets are and the importance of it because I think even even just going for a walk and getting outside and and can have like a massive effect on your mood and I don't think um it's quite kids are kind of necessarily buying into that but I think it's one of those that if they see it and do it maybe they will yeah absolutely and again it comes back to the opportunity you can you can um create within your school setting again we're really lucky so like our year 10s and 11s have everything from like your, your generic games because we're sorry because we have games in PE our games are very much the the core sport so then our PE is like as as um as kind of broad and fun and different as possible so they'll do like global games they'll take part in like disability games so they'll get to understand what it's like if you have a particular sort of impairment they'll get to understand about like um exercise for wellness so like we do things like long walks where they can take their headphones off and we get them to feedback how it made them feel in comparison to a certain other type of exercise so and because again we're lucky we can rp framework can be a lot more different to that of um one that's very much structured based on governing bodies we can get away with doing a very broad pe framework and making it as as open as possible you know like we have a big push at the moment on getting more girls in the gym because we want to encourage that um that cultural trend and again coming back to um like why kids are doing sport well it, we know that boys 
tend to gravitate towards role models that are athletes in the sport. But we also know that girls don't have that kind of, it's getting better over the years, but we know that their, their role models don't always tend to be sports people. They kind of are more likely to be within their social groups and be dictated based on their social groups. So if we can encourage role models, like I think CrossFit has done a great job in, in showing that as a female, you can be whatever you want. You can be strong or powerful. You don't have to be a certain size dress. You don't have to be a, a certain frame. You can be whoever you want to be. And exercise should be a massive driver of that. Um, and that's kind of what we're trying to do as much as possible is create avenues for, for lots of opportunity. So it's not just a one size fits all approach because we know that most people don't enjoy that conventional exercise or that or if you think about sport, actually, sport normally, for most technical sports, you're not bad at sport because you're physically unfit. You're bad at sport because you don't, you're technically not good enough or you just don't enjoy it. So actually, if, if, if all you can offer at school is core sports, then you're, you're probably losing, like, I don't know, say as an anecdotal number, maybe 40% of the kids because they're just like, I don't, I'm not very good at football. So when you spend six weeks playing football, they kind of just get lost in the background. Does that make sense? Yeah, completely. I was going to um, jump on one of the things you said there um, about girls. Do you think it is harder to get girls to invest in kind of sport in general and the kind of longevity? I know that you coach quite a lot of girls' teams. Um, is it a case that kind of once they're actually in the team, they kind of get the benefits from it? But it's like, how do you get them to kind of give it a go but is it also one of those things that once girls are in a team, it's very difficult for an outsider to kind of join it? Because I mean, girls are quite intimidating when they're in a big bunch. Yeah, yeah, a couple of things there. From a sport point of view, I look after a, a local company netball team. So from a sport point of view, in a competitive environment, if you have, I, I suppose that mindset, you, you encourage girls who are good at sport and have that mindset. So I think that's probably a bit of a bias for you because they are good at netball and because they are in a county setting, I guess you naturally have those that have a bit more resilience who are more dedicated to sport. So actually I might not use those as an example. Sorry, that's a bit of a bad example because they're there because they're good at sport and they probably already got that mindset. Um, within a school setting, it's getting them in the door. Actually. Yeah. I, I very much agree with that. If you get them in generally, it then becomes about how much they think you care. So like, you know, if you're, if you're asking lots of questions and you're really invested in terms of like, you know, what they want to do, generally they stay and like, our, so our girls only gym sessions came in this year and like we regularly get between kind of six and 10, um, which for a single session is really good in terms of what we're trying to encourage. And those girls range from kind of years, years nine through to sort of lower six. And actually the trends we've seen, not just within girls, but boys as well, is that we're now getting getting more and more younger kids wanting to come into the gym during their extracurricular time as well. So I think on that on the female point of view, it's a tricky one. I'm kind of lucky because in the gym setting, it's because it's their time, it's very much guided by them wanting to come in. So I try to make it as open as possible. So there's not that pressure to first get them in the door. Then once I know they've kind of committed their own time and they train and they've committed, say, twice a week for half a term, then I might give them a bit more direction. And a good example of that is of a, we have an upper sixth um, who just decided in year 11 she liked Olympic weightlifting. So she's basically been doing that four days a week for three years now. Um, 
to the point where I write her some small programs and she just does them and she really enjoys coming in and, and she finds a lot of kind of um she really enjoys those programs so yeah I think it very much is getting them in the door whether that's in, in introducing kind of certain requirements that are open enough that you're not excluding anyone but closed enough that they feel comfortable but not putting so much pressure on them that you expect them to complete say a full session within a within a, a 60 minute window is it that um we need to think about kind of also the age ranges are there different are different ages more open to trying new things than other year groups if that makes sense absolutely we so because uh, we do um, athletic development strength training with our PE curriculum because that comes in from year seven the trend I think the trend supports the fact that now we are seeing more and more kids in general in the gym so I think part of it is that like exposure because they understand how to do certain things and they want to come in more and train um, on top of that I think because yeah it's a, it is a tricky one but I think like with anything, if you expose them early enough, it then just becomes making it a bit of a habit. Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess I suppose as well, it's also having the guidance that they don't push themselves too far before their body's ready. I know I'm picking on my nephew here that's like 5'11", but I know that uh, his coach actually said to him, stop lifting such heavy weights because that's going to be affecting your height because you're still growing. Like you, you don't need to be going that that high, just concentrate on on, on the reps because um, he was just so desperate to get as strong as possible. Um, so I think it's also like kind of reminding them to not get too carried away, but also think about kind of the longevity and and making sure it's right for them and their size and, and their age and their development at the time. Yeah, so like, um, yeah, so especially within, if you think about like when things like social groups, cultural groups, like trends become a thing, like, I, I like I, when when would you say that as a as a female you kind of invested in say like makeup or um kind of went down those avenues as as a as a female oh i don't i don't think i was probably like yeah year eight maybe and like if we think about what shares time and you know we the earlier we can get these kids in before they they go through these social trends of thinking that actually they shouldn't be going to the gym or they shouldn't be exercising or they're getting sweaty isn't like attractive. If we can get them in early enough and make them understand that, you know, this is important for your health, then ultimately we can start to break some of those barriers down, which then won't form later in life. In terms of like loading for kids, it's actually more preferential for kids to weight train from a younger age than it is an older age, right? So if we can get kids in and we talk about something called PHV, which is peak height velocity, which is basically the period of time where kids grow at their fastest. If we can get kids in before they go through their first phase of PHV, um, the strength that they will gain will be of much more of an advantage than if they were to train after they finish growing. The only sort of challenge to that is having someone who is skilled enough to, to understand when kids are pushing too hard and when they need to call, almost dial it back as well. Um, you, you can, if you want to get real sort of sciencey about it, you can actually measure someone's the stage in which someone is in their their growing rate based on the height of their parents and sitting them on a box and measuring certain limb lengths. And from that, you can create a percentage of PHV, which then tells you um, what percentage roughly they are at in terms of their growth, their growth rate. So they might be their 87% growth rate 
and there's got like color coded kind of systems to when they should be pushing and when they should be dropping off but you can also just visually look at them like if you if you've seen a child has had a growth spurt the chances are they're going to be if you watch them play a sport they're going to look a little bit like a giraffe they're going to be, un- they're going to be a little bit uncoordinated they're going to be a bit gangly because their body has to relearn this this proprioception has to relearn how to control all the limbs in synchronicity so yeah a big part of it is definitely social and cultural groups a big part of it is actually this is where i kind of challenge your thought process on loading is with the boys it's very much about hey you haven't got to load it so much think about your technique but with the girls for me it's very much about pushing them to understand what heavy feels like so one of our um one of our strength training sessions for our year 10s and 11s is basically they work up to uh, either a one rep max or a three rep max deadlift. And I mean, to the point where they are failing, like they can't lift the bar off the floor because if we don't challenge, if the kids can't understand what a truly, truly, truly stressful rep should feel like, then actually they're not going to be getting the training effect we're after. So we, we use something called RPE, which is rate of perceived exertion, right? So 10 out of 10 is the hardest thing you've ever done. Zero out of 10 is the easiest thing you've ever done. But kids don't know what a 10 out of 10 is, 10 out of 10 is because they've probably not been in a stressful situation in their life, like a truly, truly, truly stressful situation, unless you are a rower, unless you are a gymnast, where you're doing, say, six days a week and you're with a coach outside of school who is pushing you to the point of exhaustion. And that's where understanding where exhaustion is. But unfortunately, a lot of coaches train too close to exhaustion too often. And then you get that negative training effect that kids just lose lose that willingness to want to be there i think that's quite interesting because it is it is that and especially when hormones come into it they're more likely to go oh well i'm i just can't be bothered anymore i'm just not going to do it and it is that it has to be a positive relationship where they want to they want to enter the room they want to turn up it has to be a positive experience otherwise it is going to turn them off from it absolutely and I was really against the idea of having a boys and girls only session. So we haven't got a boys only session, only a girls only session, because ultimately my goal should be that everyone can train together. There is no like prejudice. There is no, oh, she's a girl or oh, there's, there's boys in here and they smell and they're always screaming or they're, they're slapping weights around. It should be that everyone trains under the same roof. And there's this like collective agreement in mind that everyone is in there to improve on themselves. But I think, I guess when I first came in to education and athletic development, I thought that obviously kids, kids' mindsets weren't quite like that. And it took me a year or so to realise that actually the girls weren't coming in because the boys are loud, because the boys chat a lot, because when there are girls in the room, the boys tend to mess around a little bit more. So actually by separating those groups, and the girls can train whenever they want. The girls can go into all the boys' sessions they want. But ultimately, the girls needed their own session as well for them to be a bit more focused and for them to feel like they can train with confidence. Um, what so, do yeah. you, um, sorry, I was going to say, oh. what about um, in terms of teachers? Now, I know that um, our kids are a bit like, they love it when a teacher gets involved. Um, if, if, our, if we're a man down on the on the team, I'll end up going into our dodgeball. Um, but also the fact that we, we have like a park run on a Monday night and I know a lot of teachers do it as well I've obviously broken two feet in six months so not been participating um needless to say but I think or even when I did do it before that um they kind of liked the idea that they could very much beat me um but also I think it gave kind of the confidence of some of the other kids that aren't so sporty that were like oh okay well if miss is doing it doesn't matter we're like at the back having a chat with her um 
or whether they're kind of trying to keep up with the geography teacher that's doing doing laps on me and so I think it's kind of that kind of idea of lead by example that we're kind of all doing it together kind of really grew and I know quite a lot of schools are kind of getting into that kind of adding in kind of park runs I know there's a couple of schools near me that do it even on on a weekend as well they have it at their schools we get quite a lot of kids attend I know when I've gone to my park run near me um there are several kids um turning up to that and I just make sure I'm I'm behind them when I start so they don't lap me um but then it is kind of kind of interesting seeing their times and and they get excited when I'm like oh I saw you at Park Run your time was good um it's that kind of almost positive reinforcement that it's something that you can do beyond school and that anybody can do it it's even even the art teacher that's normally in heels will get out of trainers and and kind of give it a go um, and it doesn't matter where you come at the end it, it's for the benefit of it yeah that, that's another really 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 good kind of um point to make is especially for me because i'm i'm not strictly a teacher i'm not employed as a teacher like i'm employed as support staff it means my relationship with the kids is a bit different so i guess they're more open to the understanding that they can have different conversations with me a little bit um which is quite nice because again just touching on the mental health side of things there might be a conversation from a, a, a student who doesn't feel they can talk to a teacher about it, but they can talk to a member of staff about it. So it's very much, that's that first kind of portal open. But yeah, you made a really, really good point there actually. Like like within the coaching framework, a big part of it is showing what you're doing. Like if you tr- if you said to a kid, if you said to a student, if you explain to them a back squat and you just said to them the key points of a back squat, so like hips back, um, sit into your heels, push your knees apart, keep your chest up you didn't actually show them what they were doing first of all they probably get it wrong and second of all you're going to lose interest really really quickly the great thing about PE the great thing about athletic development in schools is essentially you're just joining in you're just rolling around on the floor making it as fun and as open and as like you can make it as non-scriptive as you want you can make it as non-formative as you want you can make it essentially just another you can make it we have parkour in our PE program like and that's what that's what's great about your example is if kids see you doing it, they will replicate you because you're still a role model, whether they whether they are whether they like you as a teacher or not. If you take part and you're and you're practicing, then ultimately they realise this is something that they're not just telling us to do, but they're actually doing it themselves. So I make a habit of trying. I'm not in every single one of our games lessons, but I make a habit of training during one of the games lessons so that you see that oh, you know, um, Sarah isn't just telling us how to do this stuff; he actually can do it and and I guess they see that and go, oh, that's something to either look forward, look up to. That's something to challenge and try and beat. Ultimately, I'm not doing my job correctly unless some of these kids, when they leave school, are actually stronger than me. That's kind of the point we're trying to make. Okay, it's not all about strength, but if we can guide them and challenge them to, to be better than the, pe- the people that are teaching them, then ultimately they're going to realise that, A, teachers don't have as big egos as they think. And second of all, you're creating this really, really positive environment where your relations between students and staff is much stronger and fluid because they see you practicing the things that you're preaching about at the same time. And that parkrun idea is great because I bet there's lots of good conversations. And ultimately, if you think about it from a safeguarding and a like a mental health side of things, you might actually have a student come to you and say, yeah, I use that, that parkrun as something to help clear my head. Or they might start a conversation with a student who wouldn't normally open up to another member of staff because they see you doing some, some of the same stuff. And also, it also challenges that status quo, right? Like, why should the art teacher not be really fit? 
why should the geography teacher not be really fit why should the the music teacher not strength train like pe yes is its own separate entity and it very much is delivered like that but you you don't you, it's not like you can only be good at maths and not be good at pe like you can be good at you can be good at lots of gcse so why can't you be good at at like your health as well you know it's good to break down um the stigma I'm going to I'm going to play the news but then I would like you to, to tell me your best sporting role model and your best coach role model There's a, but you'll have a little minute to think about it is that right Yeah it's perfect a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out! Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading! This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The long debate as to whether a Yorkshire pudding belongs on a Christmas dinner has often been a talking point on social media. This year, however, the debate has reached new heights after an 11-year-old schoolgirl was left unimpressed by the failure to include her favourite item on the school Christmas lunch. The Daily Mirror carries details after the pupil's letter to her head teacher was shared on social media. The 11-year-old pupil from a Lancashire primary school sent a strongly worded email after she noticed that none of the pupils were served Yorkshire puddings, but staff were. The email referred to the puddings as food of the gods and as golden delicacies and described the actions of the school as cruel and callous. Puddings for all were demanded going forward. The head teacher took the complaint seriously, but in good humour, and even agreed to take part in a conciliatory dance-off to make up for it. The dance-off was conducted in front of the whole school, with only one clear winner, the 11-year-old. So for all those still debating whether Yorkshire puddings belong on a Christmas dinner, be prepared to hit the dance floor to settle the argument. Chester Zoo and the University of Chester have joined forces for a new course focusing on conservation and sustainability education. This course offers a, the first opportunity anywhere in the world for education professionals to gain a recognised qualification. The course will launch in 2023 and allow those studying to gain a postgraduate certificate. The course aims to provide educators with knowledge and skills needed to help learners maximise the impact they can have in carving a better future for the planet. Full details of the new course can be found on the University of Chester website. Whilst recruitment and retention of teachers and other professionals in the UK has been a frequent topic of discussion, Nigerian news outlet The Nation looks at the topic from another angle. 
The article focuses on what it describes as a mass exodus of licensed medical doctors and other health professionals to more developed countries. And now the fear is changes to UK immigration rules will have a further impact on the education sector. According to a recent announcement from February the 1st, 2023, teachers from Nigeria and other countries who qualify will be able to apply to, te to be teachers in the UK. Whilst this is a step in the right direction for recruitment in the UK, there are fears in Nigeria and other nations that this will lead to a further brain drain that can only have a negative impact on the youth of these other nations. Finally, with many schools already broken up for the Christmas break, it's left only to wish all school staff an enjoyable holiday. While sending solidarity to those who, according to a recent teacher tap survey, are pushing on into this week, particularly to the 7% of staff who don't break up until Friday, the 23rd of December. Keep going. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the 50th episode of Two Minute Tech. This week, I want to make an appeal. So, um, we're sponsored by John Cat, and they've got some great books um, on resilience and kind of there's um, a great um, guide to outdoor learning or kind of uh, playing with fire, embracing risk and danger in schools. I think this kind of builds on kind of what we've said and kind of changing kind of the way we look at kind of sport and making sure we're encouraging the kids to kind of create risk but have a safe space that they can kind of make those mistakes and think about what they're um doing in in that respect um josh have you come up with your best uh coach and your best uh sporting hero to look up to for students i have so mine is very much deep within my own sport that i play so i, I play basketball um so my sporting role model will be no surprise. It'll be Michael Jordan. Um, and in particular, if you know anything about his story, he was actually cut from his high school team. Um, uh, so Michael Jordan is probably world renowned as the best ever basketball player to play the game. Um, but he was actually cut from his high school team at a very young age. And he's someone that if you follow a lot of his kind of quotes, he's very much based around like practicing and putting in the work and having the resilience to want to better yourself and to be a better player and the documentary which i think is still on netflix um is another really good example of how he kind of approaches his training and and to, to how he developed his game over years and years and years to be better in terms of my coaching role model it's actually someone that has been my coach not necessarily a professional coach um so a teacher still at notre dame high school called john hodds he was my basketball coach uh very firm but if you put in effort and work continuously you had his respect and that was a big thing for me and a big thing that i carried forward was um when people you have to reward people for the hard work they put in around you so if, if people are giving up their time to to benefit themselves in your company whether you're a coach or uh or say even a, a player in the same team then i think there's almost a, a sense of ownership and a sense of um not reliability, but kind of that the, the liability to also bring kind of your A game and, and to to not let everyone else down, which I think is kind of a really big kind of dynamic within team sports. So those would be my my role model and my coaching role model. 
do you think that's a really important aspect that students kind of almost need to respect you as a coach but also I suppose uh, respect like the rules and and what's trying to be kind of in created and embedded and if they if they lack that kind of respect they're not necessarily going to get the most out of that environment absolutely it's almost the it's almost the hardest thing to ascertain because even let's say your a team sport your a team it, it might not be it might not be the best in the county but that doesn't stop you creating a, a culture that would develop those players and i think like i said part of if you know you're on a team with other people you can't let down it, for most people that makes them rise to the occasion that makes them want to play better and it makes them take some ownership and again if there's one thing that i can kind of get people to take away from this pod is actually there's so many more skills outside of just being fit and healthy that you develop by doing sport by you know by being part of a team culture or even just an individual culture like if you create targets and you're regularly trying to hit those targets you're, you're training yourself to be reliable you're training yourself to be resilient too i think that's that's a lot of, of, of i think kind of the bit behind this isn't it that we've kind of pulled out throughout is that is trying to give the kids those resilience and I, I do think perhaps I think COVID especially with lockdown kids went one of two ways there's the kids that went out for the run or the walk or there's those kids that stayed at home and, and played video games I know I'm stereotyping slightly but I think the ones that kind of engaged with the activity and got themselves outside did their daily walk uh, kind of build up that resilience and that we have kind of almost got these kind of students now that have had all this chaos from these last couple of years that are lacking that and I think PE and sport is one of the areas that we can rebuild it but it's perhaps taking slightly longer than it would have previously because they would have a certain amount kind of built in but they have kind of lost it if you know what I mean. Yeah you're ultimately trying to develop you're trying to develop their their spectrum of emotions and their spectrum of um, how to deal with things right so like as a coach, we have to be compassionate and consistent. We have to be flexible and accountable. We have to be sympathetic and rigid. We have to. We want them to pursue perfection, on, but on the way, we want them to attain excellence. Like we have an expectation of what they should be doing, but we know that's going to fluctuate. We we ultimately have a structured, um, like a structured framework to what we need to deliver. But we also know that every child matters, and as such, we have to vary that framework to meet the needs of every child. We, you know, we have to be critical on kids, like. But we should also be relaxed for some things as well. And I think that's what makes a really good teacher or a coach. I, I kind of use those words to try and I think teaching and coaching is very similar. I think coaching is just a little bit more about exposing kids to the environment, whereas teaching is a little bit more about the education behind the environment. But I think if you can if you as a coach or a teacher can be critical with a with a student and give them really honest feedback, you're you're gonna help build them a bit more. I think I don't always think the soft the soft approach works in terms of like sort of molly coddling the particular point you need to work on, um, and only you as the teacher within that with that student will understand. Getting to know your kids is really important because you will then find out like the kids who you can push harder versus the kids that you can't. And I think there's sometimes this assumption that if you want to say like a C or a B team, like the feedback you get might be softer than if you're in the A team. Whereas I think ultimately that's an area where kids kind of should be treated a bit more the same like we should we should teach kids that this isn't an emotional response we're not having a go at you because you've done something wrong we're giving you some critical feedback so you can go away and work on it 
and then make a better decision. I was going to ask, how important do you think is the competitive aspect of it, the kind of inter-school competitions? Um, is it important that we all kind of essentially do do the same sports for that reason, that we can have that larger outreach of competitiveness as opposed to, for example, my school has a girls basketball team, but they don't have a huge amount of schools to compete against because there aren't that many year 11 girls basketball teams. Um, but is it a case that we need kind of more schools to be doing a bit more of everything or do we need to keep that so that they do have that competitive side against other schools or is just in school kind of competitive enough? I think a mixture of both really does help. I think you need external schools to kind of give kids a bit of a, uh, a fact check, a reality check, because obviously you're going to get a lot of kids that will think they're very good at their sport, especially East Anglia, like, I remember when I played basketball at sixth form, we thought we were awesome. We went to play like an inner city London school and we got, we just got absolutely pumped. Like, so you need to have that external competition to, to, to reality check you every now and again and to go, actually, we are not as good as we think. We now need to work on stuff. But coming into to my current school, especially watching the interform competitions and watching how many kids come and watch and how many kids take part and how balanced it is and how much fun they have. It's, it, it's kind of, if you think about that spectrum again, we have like the far end competition, which is your national tournaments. And I think like interform competitions kind of sits between halfway and kind of three quarters of that as well. So it's a really nice time for all the kids, all the form tutors to get involved. Like we do staff versus student um, games as well. And like the kids love it. Like they get really on board. It, it's a really nice atmosphere. Like lots of people come to watch. So I think inter school stuff is really important for, for creating that culture. Um, and for encouraging maybe some of those kids that do hide a little bit from the external sport to actually come forward and take part in some of that stuff. Do you think that um, in kind of terms of schools, because I know in terms of from an art perspective, we're allowed to kind of adjust our curriculums and teach kind of what we have as our speciality. So um, whether it be printing or sculpting, it, it's kind of we're allowed to kind of change the curriculum to it. Do you think there should be more kind of autonomy within sport that you should have like, there would be the set sports, but you should also have the option to be like, right, well, our teacher's really, really good at basketball or um, kind of handball or something and, and kind of introduce them to something that they've got subject experts to it. Or are you not given perhaps the necessary kind of option to be able to showcase kind of your best skills, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. Because we have a games and PE model, we attract specialist coaches who can then deliver in the games model. From a state school point of view, I think it happens. I just don't think it's recognised the same. Like, I think unless you're kind of lucky and you pick up a member of staff who happens to, to really love a sport and as such creates that kind of culture which normally does happen it's normally where it comes from you have a, a member of staff that comes in who's really good at say basketball and all of a sudden you've got this real big push on basketball yeah i just don't think it's recognized as much i don't think it's kind of like this person has a particular specialism as say like an academic version you know like i think within sport i think and this is again where i think PE teachers get a lot of stick PE teachers are not meant to be awesome at every sport they're meant to know enough about every sport and by being a very good generalist, they're not going to be a specialist. So their job is just to encourage you to try sports. It's not to make you do it all of your life. But that's where like 
pushing kids into other avenues, other sports, other other clubs is really important. Um, so to come back to your question, because I keep doing this caveat thing. Um, <laughs> yes, I think it would be nice that sports coaches got a little bit more recognition if they were a specialist. Um, but I think because of the private school, state school model, you, you naturally have specialist sports coaches because they don't need a teaching cert. They can go into a private school and deliver as a hockey coach. Um, I know there's more companies now setting up that have like hockey, football, rugby specialisms, and they go into schools, into state schools, and deliver that as part of an initiative. I just don't yeah, think we've it's, had rugby in. Yeah, I just don't think it's as big. I think it's just not as big at the moment. That's kind of where that lets you down a little bit. Because I think that that does it does it need to be that for a student to be successful that they do need to kind of almost access outside of school kind of organisations. Um, like I know that we've got a very good swimmer at school. We have a swimming pool at school, but we don't. Our students don't use it, um, which I, I find crazy. Um, it just doesn't fit in with the timetables, and it tends to be the primary schools nearby that use it. Um, so we've got this amazing kind of facility, and I know we've got amazing students. One of them's national champion, but I, the way I found that out is because she volunteers at the weekend on my son's swim class. So um, I think there's a lot of kids that perhaps do stuff out of school that go out under the radar. But to be successful, do you need to do it outside of school as well? So is it the case that actually kind of our pupil premium students, the students that don't have um, good family incomes that are going to be paying for these outside activities, that they're kind of at a disadvantage? And especially even more now with the cost of living crisis, that these kids outside of school are going to be kind of struggling to have those opportunities? Yeah, yeah. First of all, um, first question. So, yes, I think if you're good at a sport, you will need to be doing it more than, say, once a week. So, like, um, depending on obviously how much um, PE games your school delivers, I think for the large part, you will need to go outside of school. We, again, we are lucky enough that we have this big extracurricular programme. So I know a lot of our games, our kids that are good at, say, hockey will have multiple hockey sessions within a week. But they will still go and play at, say, Cambridge Hockey Club in the evening twice a week or three times a week. So because of those links, they're naturally playing more anyway. More doesn't always mean better, but it gives you more chance to perfect to, to, to perfect certain skills and to, to be exposed to different coaches. Yeah, unless you're... Yeah, I think you would too. I think if you are a, a very good sports player, you will have to look outside of probably the school setting to be able to have the opportunity, unless you're lucky enough that you're at a school where you're, if you're a sports scholar, you can say miss a certain lesson every week. Say for example, like if you were doing a music lesson on a rotation, but then for example, using your swimming as an example, if they weren't swimming at the school, well, to get them down to the local swim club is going to be what, if we're being very realistic, 10 to 20 minutes, that gives you say, if it's a single lesson, maybe 30 minute swim, then you've got to get back again for your next lesson. So in terms of logistics, it's another big area to look into. And then, yeah, the financial barrier of, of say, sports club memberships. And if you think about sports clubs that are especially practicing indoor, electricity bill is probably going to go up. They're probably going to have to front that, which means that your membership is going to go up. So I, I'm not completely clued up on Sport England initiatives, but I would assume, based on the cost of living crisis, there will be more initiatives coming out in terms of supporting kids into, into clubs and I know a lot more clubs nowadays are setting up hardship funds. Like we, we are a county netball um, academy. We have to have a hardship fund. 
So we have to have we have to be able to offer at least th three, I think, three to five fully paid places for the year um, as a netball academy within a certain setup. I think that, that hardship fund is quite an interesting one. I definitely think that's worth. Um, I don't necessarily know whether other teachers know about that, or or perhaps or or know which places around their school offer that. But it's certainly something that should be kind of promoted with with things going on. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for joining me, Josh. That flew by, um, and I think our take from it is that we need to we need to get these kids to be resilient and kind of fall in love with kind of sport and understand the benefits of it, and that it's a longevity to help them throughout life, and it isn't just just for their kind of duration at school. Have you got anything to add? No, just that, first of all, thank you very much for for having me on, and it's been a, a pleasure to to kind of get across my my two cents to where PE and athletic development should be going within schools. I think, yeah, you don't need to be a specialist in terms of what you're delivering. You just need to be keen. Um, and there's, if you're near a university, especially, you should be reaching out to universities and talking to students, um, especially those in like fitness, strength and conditioning, sports science, because ultimately they're going to need work experience. And schools, I, w I was really lucky that most of my work experience has been within schools. And I was lucky enough to fall into like a full-time position because of it. So. If you're someone who's in the industry of strength and conditioning or sports science or even sports coaching, if you can get into a school, even on like an intern or a graduate kind of role, ultimately it's only going to benefit you in the future because more and more of these jobs are going to pop up within schools and you're going to have a really, really good effect on, on the later generations. Well, thank you very much. I hope everybody enjoyed listening and enjoy it um, on the replay. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live.